The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Brogut on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner, sitting next to Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas. We want to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. And uh, we use an empirical approach, Ethan, which means we really rely on very well-tested, uh, evidence-based uh, investment strategies and financial planning techniques. Mm-hmm. It just means we don't just throw out random opinions or come up with quick uh, solutions to yesterday's problems, but we really want to we want to recommend and implement things that we feel confident will give you an edge in terms of being financially successful over the long run. So we talk about a lot of different topics relating to investing and financial planning, and we we hope that you uh, you gain some valuable insight. Ethan, before we get started tackling a variety of uh, topics, uh, investment topics today, would you mind giving out our contact information? Of course. Uh, If you'd like to join the program today, feel free to reach out and give us a call or email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or via phone at 866-472-5790. If you're uh, an individual investor out there looking for perhaps a second opinion on your portfolio or... Perhaps you're uh, transitioning to retirement and would like to discuss that. Feel free to give us a call at our direct office line at the Empirical Towers in downtown Seattle at 206-923-3474 and ask for Ken or Ethan. Sounds good, Ethan. Just a real quick review here in the markets. Looks like the uh, market closed down about 9.37 today on the Dow Jones at 13,000. 973.54. Hmm. Um, that is about 8.5% higher than last year ago, Valentine's Day, which, by the way, happy Valentine's Day, Ethan. And Thank you very much. All of our listeners out there, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Ethan's a very sentimental and Indeed. somewhat romantic type of a guy. Uh, any big plans tonight, Ethan? You? Uh, not big plans tonight. We're gonna. I do have a date tomorrow night, though. Ooh, it's date night. I'm go out and have a... Yeah. You, you don't want to get caught up in the Valentine's Day crowd, right? So you're just pushing it back a day. Basically right. Every day is Valentine's Day in your situation. <laughs> That's true, right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. Uh, S&P 500 was uh, actually up about one point, fifteen twenty one point three nine at the close. That is 12.65% uh, above where we were a year ago today. 
And uh, just looking at some of the international uh, markets, the EFA index is up about 13.31% over last year mm-hmm. to date. Mm-hmm. Emerging markets index, uh, a mere 3.93% a year ago today. So we're um, emerging markets lagging the developed countries over the last one year yep. rolling period. Mm-hmm. The World Stock Index, if you look at the Vanguard World Stock ETF, symbol VT, uh, up 12.88% over last year. Uh, gold prices are actually down about 5.65% since la- over the last um, 12 months, Ethan. Uh-huh. And uh, crude oil down about two-tenths of a percent. Rates this week, real quick, just thought I'd cover the uh, interest rates where we're at on things. If we look at the prime rate, still unchanged, 3.25%. Uh, 30-year mortgage, Ethan, if you're out there looking to buy a house still, um, still at historical low, uh, 3.66 30-year uh, mortgage average, national high average on wow. that. Uh, up a little bit, 3.59 last week that we had on the report. A 5-1 uh, arm at 2.79. Um, if we look at CD rates, one-year CD, the rate right now, Ethan, for locking up your money for an entire year, is 0.59%. And uh, if we look at five-year treasuries, 0.85. 10-year treasury at 2%. Uh, oh, oh, looks like we're missing a digit there. Um, oh, I think it's meant to be 2%. Uh, five-year corporates, AAA, 0.97. And 10-year, uh, 2.46. And the inflation-adjusted, or the tips, as we like to call them, Ethan, uh, five-year, negative 1.36% is the current yield. And on the 10-year, negative 0.56. And uh, basically what that means is we need to have an inflation rate on a five-year basis of 2.21% to break even with uh, buying the standard five-year treasury or 2.56% on the 10-year treasury. Uh, that also is a reasonable indicator what the market is looking at. Um, give or take some insurance costs there for inflation over the next five and ten years. So the market's pricing in a relatively low inflation rate. I also noticed that the uh, 30-year treasuries, the 30-year bonds right now, are uh, yielding 3.18%, which uh, I know is uh, um, quite a bit higher than it was, say, six months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've seen some market improvements, uh, at least in the yields there. It means prices have come down, obviously. Right. So just interesting note. That is an interesting note. And on that note, uh, Ethan, Eric Lair passed me an article that was out of the New York Times. I thought we could just tackle some of these interesting articles that are coming out. And I, I think it's important and relevant or worthwhile because if you're a client of ours and you're listening to this, um, gives you an opportunity to get our feeling about what is in the media mm-hmm. and how we digest these things. Um, and so the, the title of this article, Ethan, it's in the February 10th New York Times, Speculative Bets Prove Risky as Savers Chase Payoff by Nathaniel Popper. And uh, basically, Ethan, regulators across the country are, are confronting a wave of investor fraud that is saddling retirement savers hmm. with steep losses on complex products that until a few years ago were pitched only to the most sophisticated investors. There's been a lot wide trend in the industry uh, to take these very esoteric and very high net worth only type of products and package them and get them down to the more mass affluent okay. client right. or investor. 
The victims are among the millions of Americans whose mutual funds and stock portfolios plummeted in the wake of a financial crisis and who started searching for ways to make better returns than those being offered by bank deposits and government bonds with minuscule interest rates. On that note, Ethan, I think this is a ripe time, has been, for these type of products that we'll talk about to mm. come out because you have a mm-hmm. two-pronged problem in terms of stocks not doing well, real estate hasn't done well, and interest rates are extremely low. Right. So there's a vacuum here. There's an opportunity for the unsavory brokerage business to launch a whole host of products that, at least in on the outer surface, attempt to solve the issue of all these things. Right, right. Um, like many things in life, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of people put money into speculative bets promoted by aggressive financial advisors. The investments include private loans to young companies like television production firms and shares in bundles of commercial real estate properties. Those alternative investments have now had time to go sour in big numbers, state and federal securities regulators say, and are making up a majority of the complaints and prosecutions. Since the crisis, is a quote, we've seen more and more people reaching out into different types of exotic investments that are a big concern to us, said William F. Galvin, the Massachusetts Secretary of the Commonwealth. Last Wednesday, Mr. Gavin's office ordered one of the nation's largest brokerage firms, Ethan. Brace yourself. Okay. I'm LPL Financial. What? So take note if you are doing business with these organizations. I'm not saying anything. Good back. I'm just saying you should be aware if you're doing business with an advisor or broker that's doing business with a company that is constantly being sued or being slapped on the hand for doing unscrupulous behavior. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth taking note. Sure. LPL Financial, they agreed to pay $2.5 million for improperly selling the real estate bundles known as non-traded REITs or real estate investment trusts. And I've been approached numerous times over the last several years for these privately traded real estate deals. Mm -hmm. And uh, they smelled fishier than the Pike Place Market down the street here. (laughs) Uh, so we've avoided them for very specific reasons. Yes. But they always offer very attractive yields, Yeah, high dividends, higher than market average dividends. Right. And the benefit of, hey, because they're private, they're not fluctuating on a day-to-day basis on an exchange. Well, we'll get into my view. Why, why did we avoid these things? Why mm-hmm. didn't we get sucked up into some of this? <clears throat> now, where was I, Ethan? Oh, $2.5 million to... Uh, <laughs> Fine to LPL Financial. All right. It seems like a small fine relative that's to the. It? Yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> and that's a, a huge company, and uh, you know, I'm just surprised. It's, I'm not sure what the. And it's re- not more. Well, maybe it's per- it's related to the amount of damage, or it must be. Or know, something. I'm not really sure. Um, they sold these things to hundreds of state residents uh, from 2006. So hundreds, not thousands. Okay. From 2006 to 2009, and in some cases, overloading clients' account with them. Now, we saw here in a local market an advisor who got caught up with one of the unscrupulous deals that was going on. Um, was it Millennium is what it was called? One of the one of the real estate right. deals that was offering a high yield. And the mistake, in my opinion, that that advisor made is they they 
well, there's a lot of mistakes, but some of the bigger mistakes, what they could have saved their clients a lot of frustration and, and the, what's going on in the lawsuit. We met several investors who are hoping to get some money back, but if there is no money to be gotten back, that's going to be tough, or they're mm-hmm. getting 50 or 40% back. But a lot of that could have been avoided. And the mistake that I saw, this is supposedly professional advisors who are giving this advice, um, who are fee-only, by the way. So you have to be very careful because a lot of discussion about how you get paid and all these kinds of things. Um, but they put, they were using this privately traded investment group as a substitute for the fixed income component of their investors' portfolio. Right. So they were, weren't treating it as a highly risky real estate venture or company. Um, they were saying, well, hey, we're earning less than a, you know, 3% on our fixed income. Yield of maturity, I think, was at that time still already down to very low levels. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, instead, we're going to get you 8%. How does that sound? Whatever it is. Do you like that? Sure. Great. And then they look great because, as the advisor, they went out and found uh, a great deal or a yield that wasn't being offered in the general market, right? Mm-hmm. And so, hey, there's an extra value add. Refer all your friends and family to us because we're great. Um, we're doubling in our, uh, your your investment yield. Well, that doesn't work out great to get an extra three percent a year when you lose fifty percent or more or all of your investment. Right, right. And the mistake was they instead of saying, "Hey, we're going to limit this kind of thing," a to high net worth clients, people who are million plus in, li- in liquid net worth, um, we're st- b going to limit the amount that. We really recommend allocating to this. Maybe it's 10% to alternative investments like this. And then C, of that, it shouldn't all go into one company and one privately held company run by one guy who's in control of all the money and has very little regulation. Mm-hmm. Does that make a lot of sense? Right. And if you're paying your advisor to do that, what what steps is he really are they really taking to protect you? It sounds to me more like they're just scratching you where you're itching. Mm-hmm. I want higher yield. And that is abundantly clear uh, through case by case of this where people get into trouble is, you know, they're, yes, there are unscrupulous advisors. Yes, they're advisors that aren't taking the time and effort. Um, yes, it's easier to sell somebody something that they're begging for, right, than it is to convince them as why they should continue to pay their advisor and, and accept lower fees. Lower, lower, lower yields, yields, I'm yeah, sorry. Right, uh-huh. that, that's not an easy, much easier, right, to go, hey, you're right. Bob, and look what I found for you. Here's 8%. Right. And pat me on the back. I'm doing a great job. And other advisors aren't doing that. Um, so those are those are things that need to be considered. Surely. LPL said, as it, said it agreed as a part of the settlement to reform its process for selling such alternative. Well, they always say that after they get sued <laughs> and screw people. Yeah. Uh, that's nothing. I hope they would. What if they said, no, we're not going to change anything. We like doing this. It's a good deal. It's a good deal for us, even after we pay the $2.5 million. It had to be. had to right? be. Mm-hmm. Simon, how much How much time do we have? Are we Okay, proceed on. Yeah. There are a few good statistics on the extent of the problem nationally, but uh, cases are mounting in the Office of Regulators like A. Heath Absher, the Securities Commissioner in Arkansas, where a majority of the 66 open securities cases involve complex investments sold to sophisticated investors looking for a steady return. 
Jay Bradley Bennett, Chief Enforcement of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA, Wall Street's self-regulatory group, said for the last two years, 10 staff members have looked at the proliferation of these products to understand how they are being sold. Mm -hmm. It's got our attention, and we recognize the trend. Brokers are promoting bad investments to unsophisticated investors, and that's nothing new. But while the easy prey used to be people looking to get rich quick, the pool has widened to include savers looking for ways to earn the kind of income once reliably, reliably available from traditional investments. Regulators are warning investors that the dangers are unlikely to recede given the Federal Reserve's pledge to keep interest rates near zero and push among financial firms uh, and the push among financial firms to earn more revenue from so-called alternative investments. And Sam, could you hit a bell? Ding, ding, ding. This is what I've been saying for the last three years. Like, why are all these investments flooding the marketplace? And the way they're being packaged, let me reread that. Uh, and the push among financial firms to earn more revenue from so-called alternative investments marketed to retail investors. I'm getting called and emailed constantly now by every provider, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Simon out there that is creating these products faster than, you know, they, they can't even keep, get them out on the shelf fast enough. Right. Uh, and I think it's like, well, where were you guys 10 or 11 years ago when this stuff would have been useful if it actually worked, by the way? I'm not in agreement that it's going to work. Right. I was reading through Worth Magazine, got a copy right here, Ethan. I see it. And all this junk was being peddled, particularly hedge funds. And right here, the title of uh, page 59 in Worth Magazine, the second stage of wealth creation, managing the money you've earned so it'll be there for generation. The flight from hedge funds. Given the lackluster returns of hedge funds in recent years, some investors, especially fam- family offices, are moving their assets out. Well, they're moving them out now. Um, the return for the last five years on these hedge on the on the hedge funds, the average hedge fund, one point four four percent annually. Wow. Um, so now money, you know what? Thirteen point two billion dollars has moved out of the hedge fund industry year to date. Jeez. Well, that's kind of interesting. Sure. To me, but um, anyway, Ethan, where where we? While the offering. Um, Oh, this is funny. The money that retail investors have in alternative investments in the United States, ranging from baskets of commodities to mutual funds that employ sophisticated trading, more than doubled from 2008, so when the market started going down, to 2012. Mm-hmm. So people are chasing these things. Sure. The wrong $712 billion from $312 billion, according to McKinsey & Company. Many of the products hold out the promise of higher returns, while ostensibly being immune to the volatility of stock markets. The phenomenon of investors actively moving money in pursuit of higher interest rates. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. <laughs> the volat- I mean, I realize stocks go up and Hit down. Hit the brakes. Stocks go up and down, no question about it. But from 2008 to now, the returns have been good. It's been the solid, you know, pretty good years of performance there, right? Mm-hmm. From then to now. From especially March 9th, 2009 to now. The returns in the stock market have been phenomenal, actually. Right. Over 100%. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be get better than that in investments like this. I'm sure of that. Yeah. It's just the wrong wrong stuff at the wrong time, obviously. Thanks for that, Simon. That was a good, good stuff. That was a good uh, rooster. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, the phenomenon, you know, the investors putting money where they believe they'll get higher rates is called chasing yield. Yep. Nathan. Right. And it's reverberating through the economy. Jeremy Stein, a Federal Reserve governor, said in a speech on Thursday that he worried that investors desperate for yield could be creating a bubble in a widely available investments like junk bonds. We've got to take a quick break. We'll pick up on this topic when we come back. Thanks for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be? Or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back at Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Just covering a couple of articles uh, today. And uh, before we proceed here, I'd like to give out our contact information. If you'd like to join the program, feel free to give us a call or shoot us a quick email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or via phone at 866-472-5790. And, uh, Ken, were we done with that that article that we just were going over? There's a little more to go on that. There's a little more. Okay, let's continue. Um, so the money that that uh, we were talking about chasing yield, mm-hmm. that that uh, <coughs> that's what's going on. You know, there's more. There's more. This isn't just yield all the time. It's just basically people chase returns as well. So it could be wherever the returns are or are right. not, people will go or or get away from. 
That's true. So yields and also stock market returns or whatever the investment happens to be. Yeah. After the fact, it kind of drives the ship a little bit a lot of times, at least in the uh, the marketplace. Consultant in Pasadena, California, said that in 2008, as the stock investments in her husband's IRA began to fall quickly, the couple moved $470,000 to a new product recommended by their broker. While the offering was unfamiliar, part ownership in a fleet of luxury cars, Ms. Beck bought the pitch because her broker had been around for years and the product offered what seemed to be a modest annual interest rate return, interest rate of 7%. So this is uh, hmm. her husband's IRA account. So they took their retirement savings, the 470, and uh, they moved it out in 2008 into this fleet of luxury cars. And that logic really befuddles and baffles me. Wow. Is to, I'm pulling it out of the stock market at a time where we're in a financial crisis to put it in a, f- a fleet of luxury cars. Who's buying luxury cars? Wow. During, uh, I wonder how that pitch would have worked out from the broker. He right now... Things are so bad in the market. We've got to get out because people are buying luxury cars. I don't even I don't understand any of it. Okay. Uh, we knew that twelve percent wasn't realistic, but seven percent seemed realistic. Miss Beck said, "To us, it was very a very conservative way to ensure that we would increase our savings." Soon after they stopped receiving interest payments, the Becks lost their money. Then. When the venture went bankrupt in 2012, Ms. Beck and her husband have been reconfiguring their retirement and are planning to work longer. Mm-hmm. Her lawyer, Andrew Stoltman, is representing 10 of the broker's customers who have filed claims with the financial industry group saying that the broker used their money on his own exotic, opulent lifestyle. There is no agreed-upon list of financial products that have caused the problems for yield-chasing investors, but regulators say certain ones come up particularly often. Private placements, investments in largely unproven private companies, have been on the top of the list and on the top of enforcement concerns published by the National Organization of State Securities Regulators since 2007. Go ahead, Ian. So in, in this this uh, woman's case, uh, Ms. Beck. <coughs> yeah, Ms. Beck. Ms. Beck. So they're suing the the broker or the firm. They are. It, it, are, are they not? That's what it says. Yeah. And um, I wonder File how, claims. Right. I wonder how that will work. What the outcome of that will be. This was done last year. We should, I wonder how that uh, will go along. Well, unfortunately, I think it'll be a function of was there misrepresentation of right. the investment by the broker? If the broker represented the investment, and as we know, on a brokerage relationship, isn't it more of a suitability standard than a that's where I'm getting at? Yeah. Fiduciary position. Yeah. Now, what's not being discussed here is how much the firm and the broker made for moving them into this product. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be very interesting to know that, although it's probably irrelevant to whether or not they'll get money from the yeah. suit. Because um, in the broker world, that's what goes on all the time. Exactly right. Yeah, but, I mean, if the broker was recommending yeah. something else, uh, maybe just a more common a mutual fund or something that happened to lose value, um, you know, once the recommendation is made in that in that world, the the, the responsibility falls back to the client to, to monitor it. That's basically. true. So that there's some culpability there from for just from that type of relationship, even though clearly who's the expert in that in that that environment? Well, it's going to be the broker, not the not the client, right? 
Yeah, interesting. Interesting the way that works, and certainly is not. Uh, uh, I would say in the best interest of the clients. That's for sure. And so I think the lesson here is simply because something is offering a reasonable yield does not make it safe. Um, does not make you know because I think a lot of times we, people make the mistake of higher yield being a safer investment. So if you you know you know what I mean something yeah. about the the higher dividend payment or the yield uh, is illusionary. It makes it feel safer. It does. Um, and I agree with that. Especially when you know as you're getting those payments. Oh hey, well I'm getting a pretty good clip, and I've even heard that. Hey, who cares if my junk bond or my preferred stock, whatever it is, if I'm if it goes down in value, when I'm getting that, I'm going to get my dividend yield. Well, that's great until you don't get it. Yeah. Um, and the price doesn't recover. In this case, it, the price went to zero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what was accomplished when your diversified global portfolio um, phenomenally rebounded from 2008 on? Right. Right. You know it. it um, so there is, you know, I was saying there's no agreed upon list, but they're saying private placements are the things you really need to be cautious about investments and largely unproven private companies or and I see a lot of this in the real estate stuff. It's everywhere, yeah. Hey, if if I can sell you brokers out there selling apartment buildings and other units and they're using a rate, hey look at look at the rate that you'll get on this if you paid cash for the building and what are you getting back if it's seven to eight or ten percent? People think that's pretty good because interest rates are so low. Mm-hmm. I think the issue, though, is you're forgetting a lot of things that go into investing. It's mm-hmm. not just about the yield that you get. Um, and in, even in real estate, there's no guarantee that you'll get appreciation above inflation, mm-hmm. um, or that you won't have a decrease. And we've seen it. So to fall into it again or to yeah. be naive and go, well, we've already hit the bottom. I'll never have to deal with that again. From here on up, it's straight up because we're in the recovery mode. Is a very naive approach to that, and I think um, one of the big drawbacks with the private placements and things is that no, there's no way a prospective buyer has they don't have any tools to evaluate that what the risks actually are. They're, it's very hard to know what that is, and then the risk oftentimes doesn't doesn't materialize until it materializes, and then it means hey, I can lose everything. And one of the key principles of investing that that we adhere to, let's say, hey, one of the top ten things you need to, yeah principle that you need to cling to with your ever-loving life, Ethan, is this principle of proper diversification. Right, exactly. And that gets lost very quickly in any of these types, particularly in the real estate deals. People will put hundreds, if not million dollars, into a real estate transaction, into one property, and not worry at all about being diversified. And these would be the same people who would would feel a little uncomfortable if if we were to propose putting that amount of money in one or two stocks. Yep. Um, Agreed. That are probably, in theory, as safe or safer, some of them. Probably safer. Than owning one property, mm-hmm. one single property. Right? Yeah. They'd, so, it, 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 um, you have to kind of have some key or core principles that you are adhering to. One of those being diversification. Absolutely right. I, I'm not going to put my money, you know, one of the ways they could have limited here with, uh, the couple, right? It says they moved four hundred seventy thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars, but I think that was most of the value of the IRA. That's the impression I got from the article. I agree, I agree with that. Uh, the couple moved four hundred. So they, it'd be great to know that. But in any rate, that's unless they had a 
you know, if you were to say 10%, that would mean they would need to have a $4.7 million IRA. Yeah. And I would say, hey, I would never put more than 10% right, exactly. in investments like this. Yes. We are on the same page here. I feel that we're on a similar uh, they, wavelength, they have been, bro. Even if, if they had the S&P 500, as it goes down, it, it declined 50%. Now they have $470,000 left in their portfolio. You know, if they investing in the stock market, they they should have some understanding. Hey, things go up and down, and then particularly in extremes, not probably not best time to sell if you already have an right. all stock portfolio. But then you abandon that strategy because you had a bad outcome in, in a, an unusual period of time, only to jump into the fire with something. Hey, because I just abandoned my principles of diversification. If you, know. you, in a lot of cases, the reason why we have avoided these catastrophes for our clients. Mm-hmm. Is because you, you can follow these principles through, and the principles will make the valuation process very simple. Right. You don't have to get into a complicated discussion with your broker about the merits of that particular investment, because what he wants to do is get it on that battlefield. Hey, let's talk. I know a lot about this investment, and I'll throw out complicated ratios and stories, and here's why it's going to work. Mm-hmm. But if you had the principle of, I don't put more than 10% into things that are very concentrated in any single one position of anything, right? Right. I doubt that these, I, I would love to know, but I, I don't see that in here, that they had $4.7 million, mm-hmm. and they took 10% of that and put it into something like this. Uh, I, I have a sneaking suspicion it was a it was a larger part of they wouldn't be reconfiguring their retirement plan <laughs> must be to right. the degree that the, you're right yeah um, so yeah it says they have been reconfiguring mm-hmm. and uh, but the principle alone will protect you by saying no I need to be diversified um, and we can go into a lot of detail if anyone has any question about that what that means but yeah by having these protections in place. And it, the broker should have been fired long at the moment he recommended. Uh, do you, would you recommend that your parents walk into a broker and work with a, a broker who would have them pull out a majority of their investment account for their retirement and uh, and put it into a, a fleet of uh, of uh, luxury cars? I don't think so. Exactly right. <laughs> Well, of course not. Would you feel comfortable with that, or would you say, "Hey, no. the fact that this guy recommended it"? For example, is it enough for you to? Would you, would you feel comfortable going? Well, it's okay. They should keep working with him because as he comes up with these cockamamie ideas, I'll just tell my prince not to do it. Or would you say the fact that he's doing that and he's not the one coming to them and going, "Let's adhere to some sound investment principles." Mm-hmm. Separating what I get compensated as a broker, right, for selling these different, pro- we're going to agree on some some investment guidelines for you, right? Being, we're going to adhere to strict, you know, adherence to proper and prudent diversification that's been well established and grounded. That kind of diversification, well, everyone loves to question the merits of of diversification or asset allocation or all the things because, hey, we had a crisis and securities at large went down. Mm-hmm. Um, that must throw all that out. Let's buy a fleet of luxury cars. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, the the evidence of that is that the markets in general, while certain companies and ventures did disappear and go to zero, the market and the economy as a whole is has rebounded. Corporate earnings have rebounded across the board, right? Undoubtedly. Um, it's when you get rattled and start searching for these quick fixes, right, or the uh, 
the quest there for the yield or the or the hey I want something that I'm that appears mm-hmm. you get off track right so the broker should be fired um, not because not because the particular investment didn't work out he should have been fired if it did work out in my opinion by recommending that approach you see what I'm saying I do I agree with that. Well, the fact that it didn't work out doesn't change the fact that it's horrible advice. Right. I, I wonder how many people out there just, they must not know that there's another alternative out there, that there's there's a way of doing business with somebody that you can you can trust that really does have your best interest in mind. And it, it, I don't, I'm not sure how that works, why, why that isn't more well-known, right? And these people obviously had choices to whom they work with or with whom they work with, but, but chose to stay with somebody who clearly is not giving advice that is in their best interest. They don't even know it until after the fact. Right. And I wonder now if they're working with just the same, same company, maybe a different broker in the same company, or the same style of relationship. You know what I mean? I wonder, how, I wonder what they're doing now. Well, my advice is that you have to develop a core set. You need to have some knowledge, like listening to this program as being an example. Yeah. Do something, spend a few hours a week to get to gain some knowledge so that you can pick the right advisor it doesn't mean necessarily that you need to do it yourself because I think you you still run into a whole lot of issues. Other, other issues. Yeah. And the amount of time that it would take to, to stay on top and of everything. But you can have some core principles, some basic knowledge that says, hey, I'm not going to get derailed or thrown or, um, you know, I, I can tell a good advisor from a bad one because if they stray from these principles, if they start telling me to abandon a simple principle like proper diversification. Yeah, I can eliminate them immediately. I can, right, right. And it, another step would be, hey, if their recommendations for these things happen to coincide with them getting a large commission, I might want to start looking for some new solutions to get advice or help. Right. Along those, so very simple things that could be taken. I don't care how long they've been in the business. I wonder how um, that conversation went, if it happened at all. I don't know what credentials this person had or if he had to adhere to some um, set of ethical standards, but studies have shown even though people can still break the law or still do those things, that people who s- tend to go through the time to get the educational process and have a code of ethics, they tend to adhere to them more closely than those who don't commit to that. Right. Um, and I, I don't see anything about this particular broker in that situation. Gary Spiegel, 54 years of age, a woodworker in upstate New York, was persu- persuaded to buy into three private placements after he grew tired of the volatile stock market and withdrew all of his money in March 2010. Okay. Much of that money, $100,000, went into a company that was supposed to produce a bilingual television show called Hacienda Heights. While paying a reliable 10% interest rate. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like it. You, you said that with enthusiasm. I loved it. Uh, while paying. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. A 10% interest rate. Wow, really? You know, the banks weren't giving interest like that, Ethan. And I was getting turned off. I was getting switched off by stocks. Said Mr. Spiegel, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who who says he ended up losing three hundred and eighteen thousand dollars. He settled a legal dispute with his broker this month, just before an arbitration hearing. Mr. Spiegel's lawyer, Stuart D. Meisner, said that before the financial crisis, he never saw a client with a private placement case, but they are now commonplace. So here again, the lure 
of this was the 10% uh, yeah. yield right. that this private placement was offering. And I, again, want to say that I wouldn't enter into any of these types of deals. And here it's interesting because it was the client who, it was Gary who was saying, I'm tired of the stock market. It wasn't his advisor that called him, it sounds like, and said, hey, you want to stick to our long-term strategy of being diversified in a global globally balanced portfolio of, of equities and fixed income. Um, but I, you, you really want to do that, but I really think we should abandon that and start buying private placements at Hacienda Heights with 10% yields, right? Right. It doesn't, the story's not being told that way. Now, maybe that was the story, but it sounds as if the investors were asked, he was asking for something. Yes. And I think it, there are enough unscrupulous brokerage and investment banks out there that will be happy to take your money if you wander in there. It's like wandering into a lion's den with pork chops taped around your neck on top of the fact that, you know, and expecting not to get eaten. Sure. And then later, after a few limbs are munched off, going, hey, I'd like to sue the zoo or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, well, yeah, maybe they or some responsibility. They should make it impossible for you to get in there. But... But that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you do have to be a little bit cognizant of what's going on here. I think we need to take a quick break, Ethan. We'll come back. I've got a few more articles if we Great. can get through a few of this, the rest of this. Uh, we'll be right back in Perical Investing Radio. <laughs> business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back at Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, uh, Ethan Brova, alongside Ken Smith. Um, this is our last segment of the day. If you'd like to join the program, feel free to give us a call or shoot us an email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or via phone here at 866-472-5790. And, uh, you know, Ken, before we get to the last segment here, I thought I'd also just mention if you're a uh, uh, out there and planning for retirement and would like to learn more about our capabilities in that area, feel free to visit our website at empirical.net and we put together some materials that I think you might appreciate. We have a 20-minute video on the five secrets of retirement success and also a corresponding uh, handout or hand, uh, booklet that goes along with that. It talks about Social Security, uh, tax savings ideas with Roth conversions, uh, asset placement investments, and then also uh, coordinating those things into a comprehensive retirement plan. So feel free to take a look. Okay, Ken, I think we're ready for the last uh, segment here. We're going to wrap up this list one article and move on to something else. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, I, I think the last couple points here are worth going over, and we're talking let's about the New York Times article. If you're just tuning in, um, it's a New York Times article, Speculative Bets Prove Risky as Savers Chase Payoff, Wave of Investor Fraud Extends to Ordinary Retirement Savers. And um, anyway, we uh, REITs have been one of the most heavily sold products because there are few rules about who can buy them. Popular for years, they used to come primarily in funds that could be traded on public exchanges. The hot new version, the type that got LPL financial in trouble in Massachusetts, can be bought and sold only in private transactions. Mm-hmm. The outstanding amount of n- such non-traded REITs grew to $65 billion last year from $43 billion in 2009. So quite a quite hmm. a little spurt there, according to the direct investment spectrum. The private nature of these investments has been advertised as a good thing because it means they are less likely to move up and down with the stock market. But it has also made it hard for investors to value their holdings or to get out when they need money. And when these private REIT guys were pitching me, one of their uh, one of their spills, Ethan, was, hey, this is great. You don't have to worry about clients being upset about the values going down because they never see them. <laughs> it doesn't get priced daily. It doesn't get priced, right? There's no trans. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're worth not worth less <laughs> or more. <laughs> you just don't see it. Exactly. Um, and that's supposed to be the good thing. Right. And in a way, it would be great if back in the day, right, investors, the average investor couldn't check stock prices at their fingertips on their computer minute by know, minute. 30 years ago, right? Yeah. They'd get it out of the out of the newspaper at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Um, and if you weren't doing that, it was less frequent that you would check moment by moment. And it's actually, I think, created, and studies have shown this, the, the access to the instant, constant pricing updates it hasn't made us better investments. It's made made investors worse. Of course, yes. Um, they get worse results, not better results as a, as a result of having more access right. to that immediate information. Um, so 
but this is for all the wrong reasons. Um, so highlight one 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 thing yeah. just to go over it again. When it's a private placement, in this case, they're just they mean that it's not traded on an exchange, so you can't. The prices literally um, don't pop up on your screen on a day to day basis in terms of a difference. But that doesn't mean the value is itself isn't changing day to day. That's right. Right. So and what you could what you could cash your shares in, for example, doesn't. It's changing. It's just that since it's not being printed or published anywhere, you can't tell. You don't know. So yeah. it looks less volatile. But in reality, it's not any less volatile than anything that trades publicly. It's just you, you don't see it. It wouldn't make a lot of sense that it would be because your publicly traded REITs are holding the same types of investments. They're holding the same types of real estate in them. Yes, exactly. But analysts in the market in general as a whole is making an evaluation about the prospects, mm -hmm. future prospects. As the day-to-day wild fluctuations that you might see are short-term, you know, it it's, may not even be just the fact that, hey, this particular property dropped 10%, right? But it's, hey, we think that real estate's going to struggle going forward. I went out of my reach here, so people are selling them. And it's supply and demand of those shares on the market that's driving that volatility. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that emo the, the current intrinsic value of all the real estate in that portfolio. Right, right. Although that, it, or in the long run, right, is what the, is going to guide the long-term fundamental yes. value is going to be, hey, those properties are appreciating or depreciating, and they are earning money or they're losing money, right? right. But in the short term, the price of those REITs of the value can be completely detached from that because it can just be, hey, I went out of REITs, and if enough people are selling the REITs and there aren't that many people interested in buying them, the value of that publicly traded REIT, like any other security, will go down yeah. or go up. Now, in this case, if you can't, buy or sell it on a daily basis and it's not the price is not being published yeah well you don't know so it appears to be much lower in terms of volatility mm -hmm. um, but that's not the case when you want to sell it you're subject to what it's what the supplier demand is unless they guarantee hey we'll let you get out of right. this price it's schedule price. yeah um, which I haven't seen a lot of that no I neither other thing too is uh, when you have a private placement versus a publicly traded security. The publicly traded security has gone under a lot more scrutiny than the, 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 the private placement has. A lot more regulatory uh, agencies have, have taken a look at that security. Uh, yeah. So there's a far less chance of something going wrong with that, which is why we generally use in our, our portfolios securities that are publicly traded. One of the reasons. Yeah, I and mean, what you mean by that, Ethan, is not that those organizations are, are commenting on the merits of the investment itself or the, or the prospects of that investment. Right. But they're at least doing some diligence to to try to figure out if it's an immediate fraud, as an example. And that's diligence, by the way, that as an individual, it's extremely hard to do. Like, how how would a, me or you, as a inv personal investor, go and exercise that due diligence or complete that due diligence? There's nothing I could probably do that would, would have me find out whether it is or is not a fraud or not a fraud. It would certainly be more difficult. Be hard. And in the case of the local uh, uh, it, real estate venture that went mm -hmm. bust because the the principal was unethical, was, right. was taking money out of the portfolio. The advisors really couldn't conduct much of a... Uh, they, they it, fooled, were, it fooled them. It and fooled they're, them and they're experts, mostly, their right? Ability, you know, and I think they didn't want to, to shirk that response, say, hey, it's not our fault. They told us everything was good. Like, the guy told us it was good. How are we supposed to know he was a fraud, right? right. Well... You know, and and it, not that fraudulent activity doesn't happen in publicly traded; it happens all the time. It does so it it's there, but 
But it's more difficult yes. than, uh, I believe, in the private. It's more difficult in that publicly traded market, in that process, than it is in the private market. Agreed. That being said, a $14 million fine in October against a big purveyor of non-traded REITs in the New York area, David Lerner Associates, was assessed. The group warned in January about uh, one of the newest products being sold to retail investors, so-called business development companies. So I just wanted to get this out so people can be aware of it, which hold the debt of small companies. Money in such investments grew to $4.5 billion last year from $8 million. Uh, in 2008, according to MTS Research Advisors, John Morgan, Securities Commissioner in Texas, said the based said that based on complaints coming into his office, the appeal of alternative products appeared to be undiminished. The people that we talk to, I'm sorry, the people we talk to, are just trying to find a stable source of income. He said, the promoters have found a sweet spot here. Hmm. So I think the moral of all that story, Ethan, is that um, if you look at the model returns and, and what the work I've been doing on this retirement distribution system of dividing up your portfolio into time horizons uh, and investing in each time horizon in a, in a suitable set of investments. Um, so, for example, if your time horizon is zero to the next five years and you need a certain amount of income out of that portfolio it's far better to accept or realize that hey in five years I, I don't want to lose that money it's far better to have less income or have to work a little bit more or spend less than it is to say well the only way that I can do it is to put it into something that's yielding 7% but carries an extraordinary amount of risk that I may not even be aware of right? Exactly right. I would rather take the treasury rates you know that we're looking at a five year here point eight three and say, you know what, I'm gonna have to make up the difference by picking up some part time work. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at least then I will get eighty three percent of my goal achieved through my investment structure and I won't have to worry in that five year period about a stock market collapse. Right. Or you know, the bonds, the junk bonds that I've got dropping thirty percent in the middle of all this. Mm-hmm. Um, or defaulting completely and me losing everything in the first six yeah. months of the investment, right? It's far better to accept those realities, and we all want to avoid the harder path, you know, which is, geez, I, I'm going to have to sacrifice some some lifestyle. I'm going to have to go back to work. I'm going to have to pick up some thing, some some income. But it's it's in the long run a far better approach. Does that? Makes sense. Do you have any comments about that? Yeah, I mean, there you've, you've done, created a situation for yourself where the, the outcome is certain. Where you know, I, I think when people invest a lot of times in these things with the private placements and, and whatnot, again, the risk is invisible to them. What what is the risk? A lot of times, it's extremely nebulous and hard to pin down. Um, so, well, they just assume it's going to get paid off. Nobody, I would assume, in our examples that we read, the. The, the lady. If they had assumed it was going to go zero, they wouldn't have done it, right? They wouldn't have done it. Clearly not. But now they're adjusting their lifestyle significantly, right? Because they lost the four hundred and some thousand dollars, mm-hmm. um, and maybe they'll get some back. But well, in their case, no guarantee you're going to get it back. In their case, if they sold out in two thousand eight, near the end of two thousand eight or whatever, uh, assume they had an all stock portfolio like just the S and P five hundred as an example, they had already lost four hundred thousand dollars. 
So they really lost eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it was the the issue was compounded, right? Right, because they got out right before the market turned. Exactly right, and so they they lost some money in the first downturn. They missed the the rebound, and they put it into something that they lost more money on. Yep, they they turned what otherwise would have been a, a temporary loss into a permanent permanent a tem- loss, a temporary setback into a permanent loss. And if they were in retirement, my my proposition here, Ethan, is that well. The, the, the first 10 years of their income should have been in, a, in stocks anyway, so it would have been irrelevant. They would have had 10 years, the way that I would propose you do this, where their income would have been mapped out with more conservative investments, even if the yields are lower. Right. Right. If you built your plan that way, you're less likely to fail. That, hey, they wouldn't have been in a panic about, hey, we got to get out of the stocks because they've gone down, because the stocks would have been in their 10 year plus buckets. Of time, so hey, the money I'm investing for 20 years has some stock in it. Mm-hmm. Right? The, ne- the money I'm investing for 30 has even a little more stock in it. Yep. And the money that I want to pass on, um, or have as a, as a surplus later in life, has a little more stock into it. But it's not the hey today, and too many people view that that way. That hey, the money I'm spending today, I've got in the stock market, and I got to get it out of there because the market dipped. Right, right, right. right. I got to get out of there, and then I got to get it into these luxury auto fleets. Yeah, because I need that seven percent today. And in your in your case too, it's not like the money you're putting in stocks is in one stock that's illiquid. It's in the entire market, right? It's it's extremely diversified. You don't abandon that principle, regardless. No. Yeah. No. Well, Ethan, that's all the time we have today. We'll have to go through the rest of these articles next week or beyond. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio. If you want to reach us throughout the week, we'd be happy to give you a free assessment of what you've got going on in your financial life. 1-800-923-4307 is our office number. You can email me directly, ksmith at empirical.net. Have a great week. Happy Valentine's Day, and uh, tune in next week, same time. I love you. (laughs) Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. 